I think we have one more week after today in this series that we've been calling Mixtape. And man, I've enjoyed the series, but I'm excited about the next series. Mixtape, we're just going back and going over some of the sermons we've taught over the last 12 years. And some of you have come to me and said, hey man, remember when you preached this message? I would love to hear it again. And man, how easy for me to take the summer off and just re-preach some messages. So lazy pastor alert, that's what I've been doing and I've enjoyed it. And um, man, it, it's, it's funny to me that people will get upset. I've actually had other pastors contact me like, how can you preach the same sermon again? I'm like, well, I don't know. How do y'all sing the same worship songs again? Yeah, you know. The Bible says the word of God will not come back void. And I mean, I always claim that promise. And the good news is around Action Church is, is we run people off so quickly that most people weren't even here when we taught these messages. And man, but I've had fun and we've been covering some things. The first Sunday in August, we start our, we only have two traditions around here. Every Christmas Eve, we do a rocking Christmas Eve. We do a huge tailgate party in the parking lot. And I'm going to tell you something. When I say tailgate party, it's a tailgate party. And Man, it's a rowdy service, and someone said, how do you get them so rowdy on Christmas Eve? And I said, well, we get them drinking before the service in the parking lot. And so every year, we've been known for that, and it's awesome. And then every summer, we do a series called The Summer of Rock, and we take different rock and roll songs, and we talk about the biblical meaning in those. And so we're going to be starting that in August this year. We're doing The Summer of Rock, the Southern Rock Edition, and we're going to be going back in time and looking at some of the greatest Southern rock songs of all time. And tying those into how the Bible works and how the Bible applies to our life. And um, I mean, I've enjoyed the series. And when we teach around here, we always go from the angle that we want to keep things real, real simple. We want to keep things real, real practical. I always say, if an atheist walks in the back doors of this church and they do not believe there's a God, they've never believed there's a God, they do not believe the Bible is the word of God, I want them to hear the practicality of what's taught And be like, even though I don't necessarily believe that's the word of God, I can take those principles and I can apply them to my day-to-day life. And that's what we try to do. I always have used this analogy. We say we keep the cookies on the bottom shelf around here because we want everyone to have one. And so we've been going through some different things. We've been talking about prayer throughout this series. We've been talking about, um, uh, we talked about womanhood during this series. We've been talking about taking risk during this series. And all those things apply to our everyday life. But I think sometimes what happens in church is we get so busy talking about the practicality of the Bible that we forget to talk about the God of the Bible. We forget just to have that reminder of how good God is. If I would ask for a show of hands today, I could ask someone to stand up and tell me how good God has been to them and what God has done in their life. I would imagine even here in our summer slump with the crowd being a little bit low, for the next 10 hours, people could share stories of how good God has been to them. When we didn't know it was God, it was God. When we didn't see the providence of God, it was God. When we didn't see the hand of God, it was God. Sometimes it's not till you're out of the storm that you realize it was God who got you through the storm. And listen, listen, I think what happens is, is we simply forget about that sometimes. We live in the day and time of the tyranny of the urgent, and we're so busy dealing with what is right before us that sometimes we just forget how good God is. I dare say, and as much as I hate to use this wording, I think it's what we do. Sometimes we just take God for granted. We enter into a relationship with God and we're reminded how great he is and our life gets changed and and our relationships get better and we start walking that path and everything's going good, but then we get used to it. It's kind of like, I've always used this analogy, it's kind of like when you buy a new car. Anybody bought a new car or a new to you car before? And you remember when you buy that car at first, nobody's allowed to drink anything in it? And no one's allowed to eat in it. And you even wash it. That's amazing. I have a new truck. I have washed that truck more in the last month and a half than I washed my other truck in probably the last three years. Then yesterday I hit a deer in it. Now guess what? It's no longer new and it will probably never be washed again. That's just how it works. You can now drink in the truck. You can now spit in the truck. You can now leave. Well, you can't leave your dirty underwear in the truck, but I can. And listen, that's just what happens in the truck. We, we take for granted, we forget the newness wears off. That new car smell goes away, and we forget in our walk with God just how good his mercy is. 
we forget how good God and his grace is. I think that we forget that God in his love reached down and picked us up out of a pit and set us on a solid rock. God is good. He's a good God. He's not just a good God when times are good. He's a good God when times are bad. He's not just a good God on the mountaintop. He, he, he's a good God in the valley. Listen, I, before I knew God, God knew me. He told Jeremiah, he said, in your mother's womb, I knew you. And he said, not only did I know you, but I set you apart for a purpose. God created us, he formed us, and he has a purpose for our life. And we amen about how good God is, and we talk about how good God is, and we, 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 we get in services like this, and we remember how good God is. But, but when the day-to-day happens, I think sometimes, not intentionally, we just forget about how good God is. We take for granted how good God is. We, we seem to remember God when we're at rock bottom, but not necessarily when we're on top of the mountain. We remember God when we have nowhere else to turn, but we're not praising him when everything is going good. When our marriage is falling apart, man, we're calling out to God. It's amazing to me how many people get in church when their marriage is falling apart. Boy, it gets back on track and suddenly God wasn't so important anymore. It's amazing how when we're dealing with our hurts, our habits, and our hangups, all of a sudden we're turning to God, but then things get going good, and man, we just kind of drift away from God. And it's easy to beat us up over that, but the reality is it's nothing new. Since the beginning of time, people have been forgetting about the goodness of God. The reality is if we believe there is a God, we believe there is a God by faith. Faith means you can't see God. You can't um, audibly hear God. And it gets out of sight, out of mind sometimes. And that happened to the children of Israel. And and things would get going good, and they would forget about God. God would send punishment alone to them. They would go into captivity, and suddenly their world would fall apart, and they would turn back to God, and after a period, God would begin to restore them, and after God restored them, they would be on fire for God for a short period of time, but then life would happen, the day-to-day would happen, and suddenly, instead of depending on God, they're depending on themselves, and you'll never win depending on yourself. And from time to time, God would come along to the children of Israel and he would simply remind them of who he was. He would remind them that everything they have is because he gave it to them. He would remind them that they are who they are because he is who he is. (laughs) And Isaiah 45, and I preached this message all over the country. This was kind of the message in my previous life when I pastored another church that I kind of became known for and pastors would fly me into conferences to preach this thing. And I I preached it here numerous times and and I might not even be preaching it for you today. I might be preaching it for me because sometimes you just got to remember God is good. It's it's, it's definitely on my mixtape, it's number one. I remember when God began to give me this message years and years, probably two decades ago. And it was like God was just reminding me who he was. In Isaiah 45, God goes to the nation of Israel and he's addressing them. And you can turn there and if you don't have your Bible, it's no big deal. We'll have the verses on the screen. They don't lose meaning when they go on the screen. If you brought your Bible out there, you're not going to be able to see anyway. We keep it dark because the building's so yucky, man, you can't see the nastiness in the dark. <laughs> if you have your Bible, though, you can turn over there to Isaiah 45. I mean, let's just be honest. The reality is if you have your Bible, you can turn it anywhere. It's all good. <laughs> man. And be God begins to lay it out to them. And I've always been a big believer that God, how many, let me ask you, I think I said this, how many of you are parents? How many of you are parents? How many of you are parents? How many of you parents believe you should only have to tell your children something one time? 
I didn't say you, would, you follow that rule, because I've seen some of you tell them 20 times. But you believe you should only have to tell them one time. And, and when you tell them one time, it's not a suggestion. When you speak, you don't speak just to hear yourself speak. When God tells us to do something, man, or God reminds us who he is, one time ought to be enough. But in this portion of Scripture, about six different times, God comes back and he begins to repeat himself. And so he's talking to the nation of Israel, and he's reminding them who he is. And he says in Isaiah 45, he says, I am the Lord, and there is no other God. Apart from me, there is no God. He said, let me remind you, I am the God. I'm the OG. You can worship whatever you want to worship, and you can call anything you want to call it God, but at the end of the day, there is no other gods but me, in case you forgot. What he's doing is he's looking at the children of Israel, and he's looking at them, and in southern vernacular, he's saying, hey, ain't nobody like me. And then just in case they forgot it in verse 5, he gets over to verse 6, and he says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Just in case you missed it in verse 5, children of Israel, I am God. There is no other gods. You can turn your back on me. You can forget about my goodness, but I am the Lord. Then he goes on a little bit and he gets down to verse 14 and he says, surely God is with you and there is no other. He said, I'm telling you, children of Israel, even though you've turned your back on me, God is with you and there is no other. There is no other God. He said, ain't nobody like me. I am God and there's no one like me. Everything you have, you have because I gave it to you. Your possessions you have because I gave them to you. Your relationships you have because I gave them to you. The clothes on your back you have because I gave them to you. Your marriage you have because I gave them to you. Your finances, ain't it funny? Man, we give everything to God but our finances. God says, I gave you those finances. And trust me, he'll take them quick. Lose sight of that real quick. He said, that car you drive, I gave it to you. That food on your table, I gave it to you. I believe if I was God and this was the Gary Lamb translation, it would say something like, you arrogant SOB, I am God and I gave you what you have. But God's a little more classy than Gary. And the people said, (laughs) he said, I'm God, there is no other. He comes back in verse 18. I I think he was talking to some hard-headed people. Not like this crowd. I mean, action church, let's be honest. We'd have had to hear it one time and we'd have been good. He said, I am the Lord and there is no other. Like, I like how he ain't even switching up. He's just repeating himself. I'm God. Ain't nobody like me. Then he comes back in verse 21. He says, and there is no God apart from me. He lives in a day and time where everybody was worshiping everything. They would worship the crops. They would worship the sun. They would worship the moon. They would worship whatever it was they could worship. They would just build a statue and begin to worship the statue. He said, I'm God and there is no one. He said, I am a righteous God, and I'm a Savior. Meaning, I am the one who can save you. There is none but me. That word none in the original language is a very interesting word. It literally means none. I wish Gary would get deep every now and then. Let me get deep for you. None. Not one, not two, not a few can hang with me. 
He said, there is none but me. I mean, someone said, God getting a little bit cocky here. I don't know if he's getting cocky here or he's just confident. He's just being matter of fact. We live in a day and time where when you speak truth or when you speak with confidence or when you speak in a matter of fact way, suddenly they label you as cocky to discredit you. He said, there is none but me. That southern vernacular, he said, ain't nobody like me. And then he comes back the sixth time, the sixth time, and says, for I am God, there is no other. I mean, Israel has walked away from God, and God loves them so much, he's reminding them who he is. He's reminding them that even in their rebellion, that happened over and over and over and over and over. I am God and I love you and there is nobody but me. Ain't nobody like me. I always heard old Baptist preachers. I grew, or I got saved in the old Baptist church and they'd get up there and they'd hoop and holler and do their thing. And they would say, you can only walk away from God so many times. No, you can walk away from God as many times as you're alive and God will always be ready to take you back. That ain't popular. That ain't scare tactic theology. We'd rather scare people into walking a straight way instead of preaching grace. When you understand grace, you don't got to walk in fear. My children can do some stupid stuff. Somebody say amen. No matter how many times they do stupid stuff, they're still my children. There's nothing my children can do where they can't come home. Now, there might be consequences when they get home. There might be broken trust when they get home. There might be disappointment. There might be hurt. There might be bitterness. There might even be anger when they get home. There might be a little bit of loud voices when they get home, but the reality is they can always come home and know daddy loves them, mama loves them, and it's home. God told them no matter how many times you walk away, I am going to remind you that I am God. No matter how many times you turn on me, I am going to remind you that there ain't nobody like me. I am God and there is no other. There is no one else. And there's just times in life where we as Christ followers, those who the Bible calls in the book of Acts, those of the way, we need to be reminded that God is good all the time. He's not just good on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. He's good on Monday when you're going to that job you hate. He's good on Friday when you're off and you're ready for the weekend. He's God and he's good. I mean, we serve a God today and there ain't nobody like him. That might not be proper English, but there ain't nobody like him today. There's a lot of counterfeits out there. There's a lot of wannabes out there. There's a lot of people claiming to be like him But at the end of the day, ain't nobody like him. He is God and there's no one else. And I just want to remind you today of how good God is. We don't deserve the goodness of God. Aren't you glad God is not a just God? I don't want what I deserve. He's a grace-filled God. He's a loving God. He's a God who so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him, that word whoever means whoever. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your sexual orientation. It doesn't matter your social standing. It doesn't matter if you believe everything like I believe. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter. I know this is hard for a group like this. It don't matter if you vote red or blue for whoever believes in him shall not perish have everlasting life. He's a good God. He's better than we deserve. Ain't nobody like him. I have been in this realization. I've always been in this realization, but I have been in this 
absorbing lately, if you will, of just how good God is. The reality is, I posted this other day on Facebook, we are all effed up. We are all messed up. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. We, as humans, label good versus bad. We classify bad. Well, this person did this and it's worse than that. We're all messed up. We all have a past And we all have a present, really. There ain't a person here today that ain't got some kind of skeleton in their closet. I was reading something recently, and it was talking about with the um, easy access of social media, how it was going to change public perception in political realms in the next 10 years, basically saying nobody would be immune to something. Everybody has sent something privately they don't want out. No matter how encrypted you think you might have sent it on when you sent it into the universe, it's in the universe. And it was talking about how it was going to be very interesting as candidates, the the group, the generation coming up, and they entered into politics and how open things were going to be. And then in the end, it kind of said, but in the end, when everyone has been opened up and they've been exposed, we become immune to it. There's a lot of truth in that. We hide it all. We think we hide it all. And we live in panic for it to get out. I've kind of always dug action church because I've always said, I have literally, I have pastors ask me, how do you pastor that group of people? And I said, well, when they just keep the crazy on the front porch, it's easy. Like, it's easy. When there's nothing to hide, it's easy. They're crazy. I'm crazy. But it's out there. (laughs) Ain't nobody like him. There's a lot of wannabes. There's a lot of people claiming to be him but there's nobody like him. I mean, listen to me today. I just want to remind you of some things. As you flip through this book and you pick out the people in this book, and if we could have them here in person and we could sit down and have a coffee with them, if we could sit down and have a drink with them, if we could sit down and just shoot the with them and ask them their thoughts on God over and over and over and over, they'd say, ain't nobody like him. I mean, you could go back in time and you find that woman and she has the issue of blood and she's had it for years and she needs healing and the doctors can't heal her and she just reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment and she's healed. And you said, hey, what do you think about him? She said, he ain't nobody like him. I mean, you could go back in time and you could find that adulterous woman who's being mocked by the religious, and they're talking about stoning her. And Jesus looks at them and says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, they drop their rocks and they walk away. You could look at that broken woman and you could say, hey, what do you think about him? She say, ain't nobody like him. I mean, you could go to the prison cell walls and you could find Silas there and he's chained to the walls for preaching the gospel. And Paul's on the other side, and all of a sudden, they start testifying and praising the name of Jesus in jail because, listen, it's easy to praise him when it's good, but it's hard to praise him when you're bound up. And all of a sudden, the prison doors open up, and they're set for instance, Silas, what do you think about him? They say, ain't nobody like him. I mean, you can go out there and you can find Peter and he's had the failure on the sea and he's ready to quit and he's throwing out his nets and the storms have come in and he looks up and here comes Jesus walking on the water. Say, Peter, what do you think about him? And he'd say, there ain't nobody like him. 
I mean, over and over and over, what I'm trying to tell you is, is we serve a God who changes our lives. He doesn't look for us to get it together before he loves us. He takes us just as I am. The church is the one that won't take you just as you are. Mm, We didn't say that, did we? You go back there. I've never preached on this scripture. I should probably preach on this scripture. You go back there and you find that man, he's had so many demons in him that they chained him to the side of a mountain. Jesus comes along and he casts out. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Jesus casts out so many demons from the men, they go into 2,000 pigs. 2,000 pigs go crazy, run over the edge into the water, and that man's walking down the street holding his wife's hand with his family behind him for the first time in years. And you say, hey, weren't you that crazy guy? I just believe he'd look at you and be like, ain't nobody like him. He just knew that God had changed him. Uh, Go ask Mary and Martha, hey, what do you think about Jesus after he raised Lazarus from the dead, their brother? And he'd say, ain't nobody like him. The disciples, they're fishing at night, the storm's raging, and Jesus comes out there and says, peace be still, and ask them what they thought. They thought they were going to die on the sea, and they say, ain't nobody like him. I mean, ask Stephen. Stephen's preaching the gospel, and they stone him to death. And as they're throwing rocks at him and he's dying, he looks up and he sees heaven waiting for and he's dying for his faith. He would say, ain't nobody like him. You go back in time and you ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and they're in the fiery furnace for standing up for God and they open up the furnace where they threw three men in and they look in the furnace and now there's four men and say, hey, what do you think? Ain't nobody like him. I mean, Daniel, Daniel, ask him what he thought about him after he gets thrown into a den of lions for his faith. And they look down in there and the lion's got his head in his lap and Daniel's petting it like it's a cat. Daniel, what do you think about him? He tell you, ain't nobody like him. I'm just telling you today, sometimes we need to remember ain't nobody like him. I don't know who's here today, but I do know this. In this church, some of you came in this church and you were strung out when you first started coming to this church and God changed your life and you're clean now. Ain't nobody like him. Some of you didn't have two pennies to rub together when you first came to this church. And now you're in a successful business and it's growing and you're better financially than you've ever been and you've just forgotten ain't nobody like him. Some of you came through these doors and everybody with a naked eye had actually looked like you had it all together. You had secrets. You had internal turmoil going on in your life. Maybe your marriage was on the rocks. Maybe your kids wanted nothing to you. Maybe your business was tanking and to everybody else it looked good, but you knew you needed something and God used somebody here, used something here to get you back on the right track and you know there ain't nobody like him. Some of you came into this church and you had, you had broken relationships with family members. You had not talked to them in years. It was hurting you. It, it was tormenting you. It, it was causing you to lose sleep at night. It might not be great today, but you know it's better than it's ever been because you know God got involved. God might have not have changed their life yet, but God changed your life and you begin to try a new approach to it and you know there ain't nobody like him. Some of you prayed for your children to get into church for years and years and years and years, and now they sit with you every Sunday morning at the little church in the ghetto led by the redneck pastor, and you know it can't be anybody but God, and ain't nobody like him. You just need to remember he's God, and there ain't nobody like him. As you go through this book, you'll see so many different names for him. Hey, I don't know what it is. You came in this church and you were battling a sickness. You came in this church and maybe you had just lost a loved one. Maybe you were already going to this church and you lost a loved one. But in the midst of that, God gave you that peace that passes all understanding. He put people around you and he got you through the hell where you could be out in the sun now. And you look out and say, man, ain't nobody like him. But the problem is we forget how good God is. And we just need a reminder. 
Sometimes you got to go back to where it all started. You got to go back to the emotions you used to feel where you can remember why you felt that way. Because life will beat you up. Society will beat you up. Relationships will beat you up. Your job will beat you up. Good Lord, just driving in traffic around here will beat you up. I'm sitting the other day, I go hiking. I'm trying to get out of Bowling Park. If you've never been at Bowling Park at about 4 o'clock trying to make a left-hand turn, there's traffic coming both ways. There's some crazy car right in the turning lane. So I can't even pull out to get in the turning lane. I'm getting irritated. I don't know why they won't turn in. I think our truck was taking up too much space. I think there was a lot of traffic, so I'm throwing my hands up at them. They're throwing their hands up at me. I'm about to get out of the car right there on, I don't even know if that's considered a Riverstone down there, but whatever it's called, we's about to throw down. They pull up. They finally make the turn. I'm getting ready to go, and right when I'm ready to go, I look over, and it's Melissa. I felt about this big. And her smart-ass way, she rolls down her window, hey, pastor. I don't know if she's seen me throwing my hands up. I don't know that I did this, but I feel like it's something I would have done. I probably told her she was number one. I, I don't know. Felt really bad. Sometimes you just forget So when you're flipping off church members unknowingly, you forget that God's good. I don't know what it is you need today, but ain't nobody like him. Moses looked at him in the burning bush, and he said, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he said, who do I say sent me? And he said, you tell him I am sent you. And for years, I never understood that phrase, I am. What he was saying was, you go let them know I am sent you. I am whatever you need when you need it. You don't get to put me in a box. I'm God and there's no one else. Let me make this very clear. I'm talking about God, not me. For anybody that wants to take a sound clip and put it on Facebook that I was calling myself God. I've seen worse things happen. I did a series one time called Confessions of a Pastor. (laughs) I was younger then. I'm not saying this is appropriate. But I had all these confessions. It's hard for me to do this. One of my sermons was I still like boobies. And my point was being just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't get tempted. And I didn't talk about boobs in the sermon. I was just talking about how you deal with temptations. But one person, this is back when blogs were really big, took that one sound bite. I like boobs. It was all, it went viral. Pastor likes boobs. And I was thinking, well, I'm going to. Took it totally out of context. That's why I'm always so leery. Anytime you see a sound clip of anybody, I'm like, man, you can take a 45-minute talk of anybody and make it say what you want to say. That don't really have anything to do with the sermon. I just want to share it. I want to make sure, no, I wasn't calling myself God there. He said, I am. I am whatever you need when you need it. And the amazing thing about this book is he goes through all different kinds of names. There's times in this book where he's referred to as Papa. Ain't nobody like him. There's times in this book he's referred to as the Lord, the Mighty One, the Creator, the Deliverer, the Holy One, Yahweh, Provider, Peace, Righteousness, Ain't nobody like him. He's referred to as the judge. He's referred to as the king. He's referred to as the lawgiver. He's referred to as the redeemer. He is referred to as the shepherd. He is referred to as the way, the truth, and the light. Hey, by the way, ain't nobody like him. Some of us have forgotten how good God's been to us. Heck, some of us ought to be dead. but by grace. 
He's referred to as the Alpha and Omega. That's my favorite. The beginning and the end. He starts it out and he ends it and everything in between. Ain't nobody like him. He's the Lord of Lords. I like in Revelation when he's coming back on a white horse and a sword from his mouth. He's got tattoos going down his leg. This is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Ain't nobody like him. We just need a reminder sometime that we gather together here on Sundays in this, what I've always called a pep rally because God is good. He's better than we deserve. And he loves us so much that he bestows on us this amazing thing called grace. Grace means unmerited favor. It means you can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It means you don't deserve it. But ain't nobody like him and he gives it to us. Real quickly, I want to show you from Isaiah 45 some ways that ain't nobody like him. The first thing I want you to notice ain't nobody like him because he scouts the trail. He scouts the trail. Before you got up this morning, God was ahead of you scouting the trail. Before you took your first breath this morning awake, he was already clearing a path for you. He was making a way for you. He he was clearing a path where you could follow. I I just picture him, I I just picture God sometimes. You ever seen that scene from Talladega Nights where they talk about how they picture God? You've never seen that movie, it's the greatest movie of all time. It's a cinematic masterpiece, you should go watch it. But they're sitting around, they're praying, it's Ricky Bobby and his racing buddy, and they're talking about, I just like to picture my God. One of the scenes is, I like to picture my God in a tuxedo shirt. He says, I like to picture my God like, man, I'm, I'm classy, but I'm here to party. The next guy says, man, I like to picture my God with these big, huge angel wings, and he's singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner, and I'm just sitting on the front row rocking, and they're talking about how they picture their God. I like to picture my God in all different ways and different circumstances, but sometimes I picture, because when I was growing up, man, I was a huge Steve Irwin fan. Anybody remember the Crocodile Hunter? Man, I loved the Crocodile Hunter. But I like to picture my God like the Crocodile Hunter sometimes. Like he's just got this big machete, and he's walking through the woods, and he's hacking stuff away, and he's clearing a path where I can follow. You don't see the path, but it's there because he's clearing the way for it. Christine and I go hiking a lot, and I I go hiking a lot on my own. It's always amazing to me, you'll show up to this spot where there's thousands upon thousands of acres of trees, but then there's trails everywhere. Someone has went before you and made those trails. Someone has went before you and marked those trails. They mark them by color. And if you follow, well, they say, because I have followed the colors and still got lost, but they say, if you follow the colors, you'll always end up where you're supposed to be. Unless apparently you're with Bubba because he got lost for eight hours this week in the woods with Chris. But let's be honest. Look at Bubba. Bubba should not be out hiking. Like, listen, Bubba, a lot of things. He ain't, ain't no hiking person, all right? Listen, he's clearing the path for us. You ain't been anywhere today that God wasn't yesterday. I mean, what a God that we serve. Listen to me today. He's a God worth singing about. He's a God worth shouting about. He's a God worth serving. He goes before us so we can come after. I'm glad I serve a God where I don't have to lead the way. I just got to take the next step. That's the problem with so many of us. You have forgot that he scouts the trail. You're not willing to step out in faith because you want to see the whole journey. And God said, I ain't ain't ready for you to see the whole journey, but I got the next step clear for you. You take this step, and when you take this step, I'll have the next step cleared out. He's already been around the bend. He's like, hey, come on. It's good. Hear me out. That doesn't mean along that trail there's not going to be some hard times and treacherous times along the way. Christine and I went hiking one time, and we're hiking, and man, I always, because I'm an over, um, 
uh, I don't know what you call it, but I, I, I don't go to a restaurant unless I've already looked at the menu. I'm just that person. So I don't go to a trail unless I've got on the All Trails app and I've read all about it and I want to know everything there is to know about it. That's just the way I am. And so we go to this trail and all of a sudden we get to this section of river. Nowhere in any of the reviews that I had read on this trail did it say there was a river you had to cross. It said there was water you had to cross. I'm thinking ankle-deep water. You remember the trail I'm talking about? You stepped out and then the water came up to here. And we had Dexter with us, our golden retriever. He was smaller at the time. And I watched the people first. They throw their dog up on their shoulders. And they start to hike across. Now, you know me. I'm going to turn around. You know Christine. She is not going to turn around. It got hairy for a few minutes. But you know what? Thousands of other people crossed that river. It was safe. There will be times it gets treacherous along the way, but God's went ahead of you and he's made a way where you can get through. He's the trailblazer. God, people ask, what's the structure of your church? Here's the structure of the church. God leads this church. And if God's not leading the church you attend, you ought to find another church. Look what he says, though. Isaiah 45. He says, I will go before you and I will level the mountains. I will break down the gates of bronze, and I will cut through the bars of iron. The King James says, I will go before you, and I will make the crooked places straight. Ain't nobody like him. What I'm telling you today is as though you can't see what the future holds, he holds the future. He's blazing the trail. You have doubts and you don't understand how it's going to work, but if you know God's told you to do it, then step out and do it because he scouted the trail. He's went before you where you can come after. My God, I look back over my life and see how God has brought me to him. I mean, the day I gave my life to Christ, I wasn't even looking to give my life to Christ. I went to church because I met a girl. How many, let's just be honest. I know you're next to you. Guys, how many times, at least once in your life, you went to church because you met a girl? Mm -hmm. The rest of you are liars. You don't grow up in the South and not go to church once because you met a girl. I hadn't been in church in years. I pull up into the parking lot for a Sunday night service. And I'm talking about, you know the church, the little brick church that has the purple stained glass that has every church in America, or every church in the South looks just like it. Got four steps that lead up to the front. Got a 75-year-old man in a suit and tie there greeting you. I walked in, and in the South, I learned the old South, there was two colors you could decorate your church. Red velvet or gold velvet. This one had gold velvet. They had these things. I know some of you ain't been in church in so long, you don't know what these are. They had these things called pews. Long things you sat in. I sat in the back pew. This group got up to sing. I don't know if you've ever been in an old country church like that. And listen, I ain't trying to be mean. Bless their hearts. I'm sure they had good hearts. But when you got to say bless their heart ahead of time, what that means is they cannot sing. Normally what happens is someone gets up and they would sing and it was bad. Then this guy got up and he had this book and apparently there's different ones. This was the red hymnal. I see people now have the red hymnal singings at these old churches still to this day. And he would say flip over to hymn 45. And I never could figure out, he would, he would always say, we're going to sing the first, second, and last stanza. I guess the third stanzas were always evil or something. We never sung them. I don't know. And they sang, and he'd move his hand. But they had these thrones up on the stage. Thrones. You say, what do you mean? I mean, they had thrones up on the stage. I don't know any other way to describe them. They were yellow velvet. And one throne was bigger than the next throne. And the music guy, when he would sit down, he'd sit in the smaller throne. And then over here in the small throne would be like the youth pastor and maybe like the deacon. 
but in the big throne was the pastor. Now, I ain't never been in a church like this up until this point. I've been in the many since then. Lou, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. This man's singing. It's horrible. And this church had a little five-foot nut and Cherokee Indian pastor. And I'd never seen anything like it. Like, he couldn't just sit there. Like, he had his feet in the throne. So, like, he's sitting on his feet in the throne, full suit and tie, big old Bible. And as people would sing, he would scream out, Wow, glory! And people would shout it back. I'm sitting in the back row like, what is going on here? And then he'd interrupt the singing. And I look, I didn't know what it was at that time. Now I look back and I, it was like he was preaching a little sermonette. I want to tell you the day, my God, remember when? He'd just go on this rampage. And then he'd go sit back down and they'd sing some more. And it was weird. And I'd never seen anything like it. And then right before he would preach, they'd have a quartet come up on stage. You know what a quartet is? Four people who sing. But only one can really sing. And they all match. And they all got good hearts. And they begin to sing. I, I, to this day, I remember the song. I think I've sung it for you before. It was on a Monday, somebody touched me. It was on a... And if you got saved on a Monday, you would stand up. It was weird. It was weird to me as an outsider. It was weird. It was on a Tuesday, somebody touched... I'm thinking, what do you mean they touched you? That's weird. It's weird. Weird. And the whole time they're singing, this little Indian is screaming. Okay, cool. And then occasionally, like, someone would just run a lap around the church. I'm telling you, like, like if you got touched on a Wednesday, and it got to the time to sing about Wednesday, you would just run a lap, and it was weird. <laughs> and I'm sitting back there, and I ain't going to lie to you. I ain't going to tell you this is godly because I wasn't a Christian then. I'm looking at the girl I came to church with, and I'm thinking, she ain't that good looking to be at this crazy place. But now I'm trapped. I can't get out because it's got these big, loud doors. I can't leave. And it goes on forever. And then suddenly, the music guy sits down. And when I'm telling you this little Cherokee Indian leapt from his throne. Now, they had these things called pulpits. Anybody been to a church with a pulpit? Big things, you stand behind them. He grabbed that thing like this. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Take your Bibles! And it was like, to me out there who didn't know anything about church, it was like he cocked that thing back like it was a machine gun. You know, like the big gun on top of a Jeep? Oh, yeah. Take your Bibles! And he started on this side of the room, and he mowed down every person in that room. I, I can, listen, I ain't that old, okay? I'm 47 years old, so this is I'm 26 years ago. Not that long ago. And I'll never forget, he said, some of you listen to that rock music! And this is what he said, if I'm alive, I'm dying. He said, like the temptations. I'm like, the temptations? Like, man, how long has it been since this guy listened to rock and roll music? And he said, some of you women looking like whores. I'm thinking, he just called these women whores? Now I'm getting into it. I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Listen, you young people ain't going to even know what I'm talking about. He got up. Y'all are so spoiled, this young generation. Because y'all don't know what we had to do on Friday nights before. He got up and said, and some of you are going to Blockbuster! 
Now, Blockbuster was where you went and rented movies to take movies home and watch. He preached against Blockbuster. He said, you're getting them rated R movies and you take them home and no one can see. I'm thinking, what in God's name have I gotten myself into? And then he's preaching again. It's over and coming. He's preaching. This is how long ago it was. They had just opened an Applebee's in coming. And some of you are going to the fruit restaurant drinking alcohol. Because I guess there would never been a restaurant coming that served alcohol. You could only go to Shoney's. And I'm thinking, what is going on? There's a point to all this. And then he said, some of you are going to fry like bacon. I said, fry like bacon? Sounds horrible. I'm sitting back sweating. I know looking back, them mofos turned the heat on when I walked in because they knew I was the only one who didn't belong. Like, like I know the heat was on. I'm sweating back there. So they wrap it all up, and they sing this song. If you've never been to a church like this, there's a hymn called Just As I Am. It's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. Just as I am, meaning God takes me just as I am. What's funny is they don't believe God takes you just as you are. They're, they're literally nothing they do proves that God takes you as you are because you've got to change and do everything to be part of God. And he said, somebody needs to come down tonight. Well, nobody's going down. I'm telling you, we were on the 17th verse of just as I am. I finally opened my eyes. Look around. I'm the only one that has my eyes open. And it has occurred to me that the last 10 minutes of the 17 verses of this song were devoted towards me. He wasn't talking to no one else. He's looking right at me. Some of you need to calm down. I said, "Uh uh-uh. I ain't coming down. He keeps on. He keeps on. Finally, I'm thinking, man, I got to get in good with these people. I'm going down. I'm going to take one for the team. I'm going down. Because ain't nobody else going down. Apparently, they don't need to go down. I'm the only one who needs to go down. So I go down. They got this thing called a communion table up front where they did communion. Someone asked me one time, I said, why don't y'all do communion right here? Where's my, because the Bible says if you take of it unworthily, he will kill you. And I don't want to kill everybody in this church. So we might take it one day, but we got to really break that down. But I go down to the communion table. And next thing I know, as I go down, all these men are around me shoving me under the communion table. I'm like, they're praying over me. Hands are in my face. I'm like, what am I doing? They get done. He looks at me and says, son, did you come down? I'm thinking, well, you stupid idiot. Yeah, I came down. I'm down here. Like, you see me. He said, praise God, he came down. And everybody came and hugged me. It was at Search was over. Went home. Called my mom that night. I said, mom? I said, I went down. She said, you went down where? I said, I went down to church. She said, what are you talking about? I said, I went to church. And I went down. She said, what does that mean? I don't know, but they were excited about it. She said, did you put your faith in Jesus? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I said, I don't know what that means. I went down. She explains it to me. That night, we hang up the phone. And I begin to think about going down. I begin to think about my mom is telling me. That night, I put my faith and my trust in Christ because he's scouting the trail. God knew I needed to be in that church that night and hear that crazy preacher. That crazy preacher taught me more about ministry than anybody in my life. He took me into hospitals. He took me into morgues. He took me everywhere he went for the next year and a half and poured into my life. It wasn't about that woman I went to church with. It was about God scouting the trail and knowing I needed to be there. Because at that time in my life, I'd have listened to nobody else but that crazy guy. He was so nuts that I had, I was drawn in by it. 
I remember thinking, man, that's what I want to do. I want to scream at people the rest of my life. It was amazing. He scouts the trail. When you don't know why you're somewhere, God knows why you're there. I thought I moved to Canton, Georgia to start another church. I did. I started the biggest church in Canton. And I thought that was what I was here. God didn't move me to Canton, Georgia for that church. God moved me to Canton, Georgia for this. But he knew my ego was too big then to take this. So he had to put me in a position where I could learn and where I could fail. Because God knows, man, I don't do anything small. I'm going to humble him. And once I humble him, and he's on the front page of the paper for being humbled, and everyone in town knows about it, then I can use him. We don't understand that, but he understands it because he was scouting the trail. He scouts the trail for you. He goes before you, and he makes the crooked places straight. (laughs) Ain't nobody like him. What God can use will blow your mind. For me, God used a five-foot-four Cherokee Indian. For some of you, God used a six-foot broken redneck. For some of you, God used somebody else. He scouts the trail. God knows what you need when you need it. <laughs> I know you find this hard to believe looking at me right now, but I used to trail run a lot. And if you know anything about me, when I'm into something, I'm obsessed with it. So I was really obsessed with trail running at the time. And I would... I would trail run and I would go off road and I'd go through the woods and the creeks and whatever. And and, and it was hard. But the reality is there was always a trail of someone that went before me. They had scouted the trail and knew every time I would get tired and think I couldn't make the next leg, I would be like, well, wait a minute. Somebody already scouted this trail. They already made it. They already made it up here. If they can make it up here, why can't I make it up here? God is going before you. You might not have realized it was God, but you need to realize ain't nobody like him. He scouts the trail. <laughs> Jesus is up ahead of your life, and he's swinging that machete, and he's saying, come on, keep up. Quit operating fearfully. Quit operating scared. I have gone before you. Ain't nobody like him. Not only that, not only does he scout the trail, we got to get done today because I'm hungry. Listen, 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 listen. He supplies the treasure. He supplies the treasure. Ain't nobody like him. When you need to remember why there's nobody like God, you need to remember that he has gone before you and scattered the trail. The second thing is, listen, listen, listen. He supplies the treasure. He says, I will give you hidden treasures, verse 3. I like how it just comes in. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. God says, I will go to places you didn't know existed. And I will give you things you never dreamed of. Do not mistake that word treasure as meaning only monetary. He said, I will bring a partner into your life that you never knew was possible to be in your life. I've already scouted the trail. You might go through some detours on the trail, but I'm going to supply the treasure for you. He said, I will give you purpose like you have never known. I will give you that peace like you have never known. I will give you that exhilaration like you have never known. I will provide, not not just emotionally, he said, I will also provide and financially in ways you never knew existed. He said, I will go to the secret places you didn't even know existed and I will provide for you. Ain't nobody like him. You arrogant a-holes. You think what you have is because of you. You have everything you have because of God. God loved you so much that he gave it to you. When God calls you to do something, he's already written the check. You just got to cash it. <laughs> Listen, look at this dump right here of a building. You're sitting in a miracle today. If you weren't here in the early days, you don't realize this is a miracle. We prayed for this building for years and the landlord wouldn't give it to us. He made a stay next door, wouldn't give it. It sat here empty and he wouldn't give it to us. Wouldn't let us rent it. But we knew we wanted to be in the hard town. We knew, listen, 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 I'm not, I'm not dogging these churches. It was never our goal to be the biggest church in town. 
Now, we become the biggest church in town, we ain't gonna turn anybody away, but that's never been part of our vision. Our vision is to be the church in the heart of our town, impacting those in our town. When people's lives are falling apart, they come to this place. When people have nowhere else to go, they come to this place. When people are at the end of their rope emotionally, physically, spiritually, uh, mentally, whatever, relationally, they come to this place. I counsel more people from other churches than I do in this church because they, they, don't, they don't have the confidence to be able to go to their pastor and feel like their pastor will accept them and what they're struggling with. They come here. They come to me. They come to some of you. It ain't the prettiest place, but it's a miracle place. This place shouldn't exist. We started this church in the middle of the summer. You don't start churches in the middle of the summer. We met in the parking lot for five months. In the parking lot for five months. Ain't nobody like him. God provides. I can tell you over and over and over where God has provided for me. I'm not even going to get into it, but I've shared this story. COVID hit, I'm in the event business, and God provided. All events go away. I don't know how we're going to pay our bills, and we made more money during COVID than we'd ever made in our life. God provided. Just this week, Christine has a t-shirt company. Her, one of her biggest pieces of equipment quits working. She has probably, since she took over the company by herself, has the most order she's ever had coming up. We could have went and bought a brand new machine and spent tens of thousands of dollars on that machine. Not what we wanted to do. Listen to this. God provided the exact same machine that we had, the exact one. That's a beast that had lasted for years. We bought it, it was 15 years old. The exact same machine, so much so the exact same machine. Emily came in and said, I thought y'all bought a new machine. Bought the exact same machine. Brand new, close to $8,000. She calls me. She said, the machine's not working. I said, we gotta buy a new one. I get on Facebook Marketplace and find the exact same machine in brand new condition for $500. God provides. God provides. Couldn't have bought the parts for $500. Y'all go freaking out and you forget you got a God who supplies. You got a God who's already written the check. He's just waiting for you to breathe and realize he's going to take care of it. Man, I've seen God work over and over and over in my life. God provides. I never worry about it. I might have moments of worry. That's not preacher talk. She'll tell you. I might have moments of worry and I snap at it and realize God will provide. I normally call certain people and let them put me back in my place and I remember who God is. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's that brought me this far to fail. And guess what? If he has brought me this far to fail, that's because he already scattered the trail and knows he has something different for me. See, when you realize ain't nobody like him, it changes how you view life. I got to get done. We are going long, long, long today. Listen, ain't nobody like him. He scouts the trail. He supplies the treasure. And he specifies the traveler. Ain't nobody like him. He said, for the sake of Jacob, this is the next verse. For the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name. I'm still in your title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. He said, I call you by your name. God knows who you are. When you didn't know him, he was calling you by name. You might have been a surprise in the backseat of mommy and daddy's car. They might not have expected you, but you did not surprise God. God don't make junk. God does not make mistakes. God does not make whoopses. God does not make plan Bs. You might not have been expected of them, but guess what? Oh, remember, he was scouting the trail. He had a plan for your life. He had a, he had a purpose for your life. He has a calling on your life. I don't know what that purpose is. I don't know what that calling is, but I do know that he has it on your life. It's funny how when you look back, I remember when I lost everything, I met with kind of one of my mentors at the time, and, and, and you, I, I needed some encouragement. I was beat up. I was beat down. It was days after I had lost everything, and I drove all out to Paulden County, and I met this guy at a Starbucks, and I'm expecting this pastor to look at me and say, man, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through it. He looked at me, and I'll never get the first words out of his mouth. He said, I love you. I'm like, yeah. He said, but you're done. Oh, I was 33. He said, you're done. 
He said, you'll never have an impact like you just had ever again. 60 seconds in the conversation, I said, I love you, thank you, and I got up and walked away and drove home. I don't mean this arrogant. I don't mean this in a braggadocious way about me. I have more influence. I impact more people's life today than I ever did pastoring 1,500 people before. Now I get to impact people outside of the church. I get to talk to people who don't know God all the time. When I was in that Christian, that Christian ghetto, man, it was all my life was surrounded by whiny little Christians bitching about how small God was. Now I'm outside people who realize, man, God's the answer. I can tell you, point them to God. I have more influence and more impact, and, and I'm a bigger jerk than I've ever been, and God still puts me in those positions. You know why? Because he specifies the traveler. God has a plan for your life. I didn't mean God wants you to necessarily pastor. It doesn't mean God wants you to be a worship leader. What I'm telling you is where you are, God has you, and he wants you to bloom where you're planted, and God wants you to influence. If more Christ followers became influential in the community instead of just at the church house, we'd change this world. You don't got to put a Jesus fish next to your business logo. Just operate with the biblical integrity. Operate with the character you ought to have. Let them see there's something different about you because he calls you by your name. You say, I don't think God has, listen, God's called you. You say, but Gary, you don't, God's called you. But Gary, you don't know what I'm, God's called you. God has called you. The world says you can't be used, you can be used. I'll never forget, we had a guy come in this church one time. He went to this church for years until he moved away. And I'll never forget, he said, man, I had to come check out this church. I said, really? He goes, yeah, man. He said, I was at a bar last night, and the drunk next to me told me about it. He said, man, if the drunk is telling me about this church, I had to come check it out. God was using that drunk to tell people about this church. See, we limit God. He used a donkey in the Bible. We don't think he can use us. He specifies the traveler. Ain't nobody like him. And some of y'all need to remember that. Let's pray.